Let's begin with a verse in uh, Daniel this morning. Daniel chapter 12. If I were to ask you today to think about this for a minute, what do you think the greatest need of man is? Now, whenever you listen to the, the media or you listen to different individuals that you may come in contact with uh, through your work or maybe you're out somewhere and you're contacting people, whatever it may be. One of the things that you see in the media in various other places is people believe that one of the greatest needs today in this, in this world is world hunger. And, and that is true, that is a great need that we see everywhere in the third world countries and um, different areas in Asia and so on. Other people will say that the greatest need today <clears throat> is peace. And, you know, peace individually with, between individuals, peace between governments. Uh, that, that's why there is this move for a, one of the reasons anyway, that there is this move toward a universalism or a one-world government, one-world system, because some of the proponents believe that if you can get the governments together so that they're not fighting, that, that you will have world peace. Of course, there's other agendas there also. Uh, and then you have this thought of the ecumenical movement. Is anybody familiar with the ecumenical movement? Anybody know what it is? We don't know what that is? A one world, I don't want to say a one world church, but you, you have this movement where they want to bring the Catholics and the Protestants all together in unity. So it doesn't matter whether you, know, you believe homosexuality is a sin and you believe that ministers uh, cannot be homosexuals. Well, we believe different than that. But let's put that aside because that's not really important and let's be unified under one umbrella. Uh, you believe that salvation comes through Jesus Christ. Well, yeah, we do too, but we believe that salvation comes through being a church member. That's, that's how you receive salvation. You become a part of this religious institution. And so the ecumenical movement wants to bring everybody into this one world thinking where everybody puts aside certain things. But, you know, the gospel... You can't put the gospel aside, and the gospel divides. So many people believe that having a religion that is unified is one of the greatest needs today. Some believe hunger is one of the greatest needs. Some believe that peace in governments with individuals and so forth is the greatest need for man today. Uh, and then you have another prominent movement now, and that is that we are not to destroy the earth and to save the, the resources of the earth, this go green thing. And a lot of people believe that that's one of the most important things or one of the most important needs 
of mankind, this global warming and all that. So you have a lot of different views throughout society with leaders. Uh, you have the different views through the media, the mass media, bringing all these different things out. And you have all these different views with individuals who believe peace and uh, world hunger, all these different things that we talked about, are the greatest need of mankind today. And they will all push that out, that this is the need. We, we need better politicians. We need you know, those who are going to reach out to those in other countries that are in, in hunger and starvation. And all these, th these things that, that people and nations and, and leaders believe is the greatest need of man. In Daniel 12, the latter part of verse 1, and Daniel here is talking about, I believe anyway, haven't really studied this much at this point, but I believe he's talking about the end times and what's going to happen when he, he, he sees these different dreams and visions from the Lord pertaining to you know, Nebuchadnezzar and his Syrians and goes down the line, and, and then he, he sees things that pertain to, to the Messiah and then on. Verse 1, there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation even to, to that time. And at that time your people shall be delivered. The word delivered, or maybe I should say it this way, one of the meanings of the word salvation that we see in the Bible is, is deliverance. It's one of the meanings. Everyone who is found written in the book, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So he's talking here about those who have the salvation of the Lord. The greatest need in society today is not hunger, is not peace, is not the ecumenical movement that we, we have heard about and seen. It's not this global warming, this go green. That's not the greatest need. The greatest need in man that for the most part mankind does not understand and see. The greatest need is salvation. So you and I have come to Christ, or he has come to us. And I am very, very thankful. In my heart, I thank the Lord quite often for bringing me in for his salvation. Uh, how I could have very easily missed the gospel when it was preached to me. And like um, individuals that... I had ministered to who I had been close with when I was a child and growing up who rejected the word and went their own way. So I am very, very thankful. You here composed maybe possibly 5% of the world population. They estimate that, and I think that that's a high estimation that true Christians, 
possibly make up 5% of the world's population. Now, in some countries, it's more. Like Guatemala, it's very high. But we should be thankful that we have been enlightened, that the Lord came to us, broke through the darkness, came into our life, and brought his great salvation. In, and I'll just quote this. We know this verse. Uh, in Psalm 8, When I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have uh, ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? You know, what am I, Lord, that you have been mindful of me? It's just, to me, it is totally mind-boggling that the God of the universe, the one who created everything that we see at night when we look up in, into the sky, all that we see around us uh, made in nature, showing his glory. That God has reached out to me. It's just, it's just I don't want to say unbelievable. It's believable, but I, it's just overwhelming that the Lord reached out to you. It, it, I don't know, the, the impact of that, of his salvation. Sometimes I, I just see this and it's just like, like I don't want to even say anything or do anything, just sit there and praise and worship him who was mindful of me and who was mindful of you. In John 6, now, when, let's just, before we go to John, let's go to Genesis. Upon man's removal from the Garden of Eden, man's greatest need was salvation. In Genesis 3, we really miss this at times. We know it, but, but we miss this. Do you realize that man's need, his greatest need, is salvation? If we realize that, why are we not allowing the Lord to use us as he chooses to tell people? If we really believe that, that salvation is the greatest need for man. In Genesis 3, verse 24, it says that, he drove out man, and he placed cherubim at the east uh, of, the, of the Garden of Eden. But back in verse 22, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life, or unless he puts out his hand and, and receives the provision that I have given which is salvation, that, that he will not live. He will live physically, but he's not going to live spiritually. He's never going to really realize what his true need is. See, you and I did not know that our need was Jesus Christ before we heard the gospel. We didn't know that. We might have known that there was a need within us. We might have thought, you know, there's something missing most people don't even go that far, but they might know, might know that there's something missing in their life. But until the gospel came, 
and the Lord came to us, we did not really know and understand that we needed to receive. The greatest need we had was to receive the provision of God to us, his salvation. In John chapter 6. Now, John chapter 6, Jesus had performed miracles, and the people followed him, and Jesus said, you follow me for the wrong reasons. You, you, you don't follow me because... Such as that, you're following me because you saw, you were fed by the loaves and fishes, not because you, you saw the glory of God. And so you had a mixture in the multitude of people in general. You had Jews, you had some leaders, and you had those that considered themselves disciples. They were followers of Jesus. And Jesus says in verse 63 or verse 53, excuse me. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. So Jesus was saying, in order for you to have life in you, you must eat the flesh of the Son of Man. Or in other words, this is the provision for you. See, the death that I am going to suffer is going to be the provision for life. Unless you receive that provision, you will not have life. And the people did not understand what Jesus was saying, and they allowed their misunderstanding to to, uh, cause them to miss the provision of God for their lives. See, I can miss the provision of God for my life. You can miss the provision of God for your life. He comes and he does certain things to bring about certain uh, responses and so on from us to draw us into salvation. I'm not talking about initially being saved, but I'm talking about drawing us into salvation. Salvation uh, is, is, of course, receiving Christ, but many times in the Bible, salvation is referring to the whole realm of salvation, the plan of salvation, all the provisions, the blessings, all these different things. Salvation, a deliverance. You, you know, we have a need. Salvation is there to meet the need. So... In this verse, the provision of God to the people was what Jesus said, but their receptivity to that provision was not good, and it caused them not to have the life that Jesus wanted to give them. Now, in Matthew 8, just to show you something else here, People do not always like the provision of God. You know that? We know that. But even as a Christian, sometimes we don't like the provision of God. Because the Lord, once we develop for, and, and move along for a while, and the Lord brings us to some type of maturity or the, might be the beginning stages of that, 
He doesn't always approach us the same way. And his approach to us in his provision is not very palatable sometimes. You know, the Lord will come in a certain way through a circumstance, for example, and we may even see that, and we may even understand what the Lord wants to do through that. We may or may not, but it, we may, may see it. But that does not necessarily make it more palatable for us. We may not like the way the Lord comes. We may not really be fond of that. But you see in the Gospels, Jesus went out and he he would do certain things. Uh, He did what the Father, he saw the Father doing what he was led to by the Father, you could say. And... You see him healing on the Sabbath multiple times. And the purpose behind that was different than the Jews had thought. They thought that, okay, he's breaking the law. Never actually seeing the provision of the Father, uh, having a heart to receive what the Lord wanted. See, how can there, there be relationship established if an individual does not receive the provisions that God is giving. Now, let me just give you one little example of this. In Matthew 8, verse 28, when he had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, or the Gadarenes, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, or with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a good way off from them was a herd of many swine feeding. So the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. So when they had had come out, they went into the herd of swine, and suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. Then those who kept them fled, and they went away into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Now, when Jesus came, he was coming to this city or this area. This area was close to the Sea of Galilee. So he's coming to them with salvation. He is going to desire to come through their land to bring salvation. And when he brings salvation, that is is the relationship that he wants between them and himself or them and the Father, however you want to say it. He wants to establish this relationship. Verse 34, And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to depart from their region. So because they couldn't receive the provision that God had here, the way Jesus did what he did, they rejected or they never could have the relationship that the Lord so desired. So the Lord can come in ways that 
the individual may not want, may not like, and because of that, keep Jesus away from their town or keep Jesus away from their heart and their life. And there's never a relationship established because of that. See, Jesus went there to preach the gospel or to establish a relationship, you know, salvation. But because of their lack of receptivity to him, because of what they saw, the relationship was never established between, between all of them there. Now turn to John 5. In relationship, there must always be certain provisions. So we'll take it to the level where we live, let's say between a husband and wife. If the relationship is to be what it is to be, there must be certain provisions given by the husband, and there must be certain provisions given by the wife. And, and if that is given, the other receives that, and they give, and then the other receives that, then you have a true relationship that functions the way it should because you have this interaction between two individuals. This is the same thing between, of course, the Lord and us. In John 5, verse 20, and I had mentioned this before, and I taught something similar to this, but I'll just go through this anyway for you. In this verse, there are three things that are mainly hidden. that We understand the text as far as what Jesus is saying. But many times within the scripture or a few scriptures, there's other things moving there. There's truth that's moving that are, it's not real apparent to see. And in this verse, there's three things. And these, things, these three things many times are missed by Christians. And these three, these three things are in an order. Not that they always have to be exactly in this order, but I want to show you some other verses where you can actually see the same order in maybe four or five different verses. And the order is significant, and what is in this is significant. Uh, we know it. We, we function in it uh, a lot, or for the most part. And, I mean, it's okay. I like to see some, some things in the scripture that actually show it, because it, when you see it, then you say, oh, I see, I see the order of it. Now, Lord, is that order moving in my life? So in John 5, 20, for the Father loves the Son. Now, this word love here is not agape. This word love here is phileo. Phileo has various meanings. For example, to be fond of is, is one. Friend, 
uh, is another, um, have affection for, or a special affection for. So in this context, it would, would, all that would apply, friend. Uh, mainly, I, I see it would be this having a special affection for. The father has a special affection for the son. Now, what is that? See, that is relationship. Relationship. Jesus has come to us, first of all, to establish a relationship. Of course, he forgave us of our sins. I'm not talking about all that. We know that. He did that to take us to heaven, yes, but to establish a relationship with you. Many examples in the Bible of individuals and the one that we looked at of a whole city, he could not establish a relationship with them. So relationship uh, is that which the Lord wants to have with you, this interaction. See, the phileo here is actually showing you something that the Lord is wanting the same thing that you see between Jesus and the Father. He's wanting that same thing between himself and the Christian. He, he wants to be fond of, and he wants you, you to be fond of him. He wants this affection between you and him. Now, see, this is different than for God to love the world. See, there's not the intimacy in that. It's just God did it. He made the decision. He did that for you. But now, based upon that, the, the agape, for God to love the world... Based on that, now this phileo comes out from that. So now he's, he wants to broaden this, not just to take you to heaven, but now he wants something flowing between him and you. See, this, this is something that takes place in spirit, that in your heart there is this openness or receptivity to the Lord and there is an openness, of course, with him towards you, in order to establish relationship, but more than that, to broaden the relationship. See, we all need to be broadened. We all need to have a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. And so he comes forth to us for that reason. So... This word love, so the father loves or loveth uh, the son. So there, there shows that there's something very special there. There shows that there has been a receptivity between the two. So you can't have receptivity on the part of one and not the other. You can't have just giving on one side of a marriage and not the other. It won't go too far for the most part. It'll, it'll uh, reach an impasse where someone will say, well, you know, they're not meeting my needs. They have no interest in me. All they're interested in them is in themselves. And that's it. I give up. And that is quite frequent today 
in society, in our society, with non-believers and with believers. Because the relationship is not established based upon this word love, phileo, where you have this reciprocal action going on. You take, you take a family, and if there is no reciprocal action in the family, the family will be tore apart. You know, kids will go their own way, the parents go their own way, nothing will be right. So, so this same word, the same thought applies to the marriage, to the children, and so forth that we're seeing between the Father and Jesus. You know, that's the first thing in this verse that must occur with you and I if we are ever going to move further in the Lord, if we're ever going to reach out to Him and partake or take from Him His provisions for us in salvation, if we're ever going to develop and become what He wants us to become, if we're ever going to attain to the purpose for which he has brought us into this life, then relationship and the broadening of this relationship must be established and must begin to work the way it should. Or, or there, there will never be a movement. And it's sad to say that there are Christians who never get past this point. The Lord died for me. I know I'm a sinner. I received Jesus Christ. I've experienced salvation. I've been born again. But they never really go much further. They may even go to church. But church to them is a once a week thing. See, church should not be a once a week thing. See, church should be something, and I don't mean just coming to church. I'm talking about something more. Church should enhance your, your relationship with the Lord so that there is such a connection there that the relationship begins to thrive, whether you're here or you're outside, because the majority of the time we spend is not here. Even if you're coming to church three times a week, that is very, very limited as far as the time you're in church. The majority of your time is spent outside of the church building, and that is where your time here is to help you, or the Lord is to so enhance the relationship so that it's the same no matter where you are. There shouldn't be a change when you're out there and here. You should be the same everywhere. It should be no different. So the establishment of relationship is extremely important. And moving in that. Okay, now... The second thing in verse 20, so um, for the father loves the son, that's the relationship, and he shows him all things. Now, that's the next thing. Revelation. Now, the reason why I said before they don't always have to be in this order is because it seems to me that Paul, when he was on the road to Damascus, uh, going after the Christians, he had a revelation of God, but immediately that revelation uh, led to relationship. And then, once the Lord got him here, 
then he was able to give him other revelation. But mainly, mainly, the order seen here is relationship first and then revelation. Probably everyone here, first of all, came to the Lord. He established a relationship there. And then from that point on, the Lord opened his word and showed, showed you revelation and, and so on. Now, revelation is basically uh, the communication of the Lord, the communication of himself to you. The word, I believe, means to uncover or unveil. So there is, in the relationship, if the relationship is moving on with him, in the relationship, there will be an uncovering or an unveiling to you personally. Mainly it's going to be through the word of God. But he can reveal himself many times through our personal circumstances, uh, the things that we encounter through other people, uh, through you know, various, various means to bring to you and I a revelation of him. Now, to ask you this, the revelation of God in nature is basically what, what's the purpose you know, do you know that God is revealed in nature? Yes, we know that. What's the purpose behind the revelation of nature? Mainly it's that man would understand that God exists. You know, you look into the sky. Some people have come to the Lord by nature, by seeing nature. They, then they come to this revelation that, oh, God does exist. Look at the order in everything in the universe, you know, the, even in the microscopic realm, in the body, and so forth. And people have come, even scientists have come to, to understand that God exists. Some. Some. But inner revelation is different because inner revelation is for the purpose of knowing him. Not knowing he exists, but knowing him. So the revelation here that we're, we'll see in this verse, I believe, and he shows him all things. This is not that God would exist, he would know that. It's that he would know him. See, you receive revelation or the Lord comes and uncovers himself for the purpose that you would know him. Well, you say, well, well, I already know him. I'm a Christian. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about knowing him more intimately in ways that you don't know him at this particular time. So he's interested in communicating himself. Now, he says here in, in this verse, and shows him all things. Uh, the word show means to make known the character or significance of something. So he's interested in making known the character of. Now, that is, of course, referring to himself, making known through revelation his character to you. Or it can mean, and does mean, that he can reveal the nature or source of something. 
like we see Jesus dealing many times in seeing the source as being from God or the source as being from the enemy. Get thee behind me, Satan. He saw the source. What should we do? You know, should we tell this man? He said, no, let, let this man alone. The kingdom of, of God, you know, cannot be divided, so on and so forth. Anyway, so he's able to show the source of whatever it is. You know, we must be able to see the source of certain things. But anyway, to show him all things, or show him the character or the source of that which he comes in contact with. So, revelation, revelation. And then you move on in the verse that he himself does. Let me, let me just read the whole thing. For, for the Lord loves the Son, the relationship, and shows him all things that he himself does. That's revelation. And he shows him... Uh, and, he, and he will show him greater works. The works is this expression. When the relationship is right between the Christian and the Lord, and that is moving on, then the Lord comes and he brings revelation, he brings certain things, reveals certain things to us, be it from the word or another source, that we know is him. Now, revelation is just not something that we keep to ourselves all the time. The purpose behind much of the revelation that God gives us is so that we, now in that verse it uses the word works. Works is an expression. A works, works come out from the individual. So the revelation, the relationship, the revelation that we have should bring about expression, be it through works or expression from you, you are a light. You know, maybe you can say something to someone about the Lord. You, know, you don't have to be afraid. The most they're going to say is, huh, I'm not going to listen to you. So maybe it would be, the expression will be something you say, or in certain instances you can't say anything. You might be in a, a job where what you say, can say is very limited. You may work in sales for a company, and when a customer comes in, you can't say, well, I'm not going to sell you these shoes, I'm going to preach the gospel to you. Well, you won't, be high, you won't stay hired there very long, they'll be getting rid of you. So there's times when you can't do that, but yet... You can be a light. A light shines. It doesn't say anything. But yet it still shines. And I, I shared this one time in a Bible school class that where I was working, we had people come from all over Pennsylvania, and we had a training facility there. And we'd get classes, you know, maybe once a month for a week. And this one individual, I saw him, I said hi to him, and then talked to him. I said hi to him, and per periodically throughout the week, I would pass him, and and uh, I stopped one day and I chatted with him, and he said said to me, 
This was really strange. You never, so you don't know how people see you. You may think they see you this way or that way. They may see you completely different. So I had said nothing about the Lord to this fella. I said nothing about the gospel at all. Just, you know, walking with the Lord, doing my job. And he said to me, he says, your light in this place is beaming. He says, are you a Christian? <laughs> I said, yeah. And I thought that was quite odd that somebody would walk up to you and say that. I said, yeah, I am. I said, are you? I said, obviously you are. I said, where are you from? He said, Bradford. I says, uh, I, says I know a church up there. He says, yeah, I go to a church, Phil Pelutro's church. <laughs> Small world. But see, as a light, a light shines. People see it. They can't get away from it. They don't have to say anything. But the point is that if you have the relationship and the Lord is bringing revelation. See, he's brought more revelation to you here in these pews than he has to most people. Believe it. Well, why? So you can be you know, sitting here as a uh, overstuffed, Whatever. No, there's to be an expression, however that takes place for you personally. That's the way it's to work. Now, in Colossians, turn to Colossians for a minute. Hold your place in John. Colossians 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom. Well, that's nice, having the word of God dwell in you richly. Isn't it? Yeah, very nice. Teaching that you may teach and admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word, in, in logos, in expression, whatever you do in sp- expression, indeed. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So there's an expression there. Not, to, not just that, you know, the word of Christ dwells in us richly for no reason. We're going to keep it there. And as, as you know, it says in the, in the gospel, put, put a bushel over the light. No, there, there is an expression that is to come out from that. So if you never in any way say anything to anyone, then what's going on here with this expression? See, are you in the right relationship? Are you receiving revelation? If you are, that expression comes out somehow, some way. It should. Now, in John 15, I want to show you the same order here uh, several times just in chapter 15. Verse, verse 4, abide in me. See, that's relationship. And if you go down to verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. That's revelation. When the Lord commands us and he's showing us something, that's revelation. Verse 15. 
No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my father I have made known to you. Verse 16. You did not choose me, but I have chosen you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. See, bearing fruit is the expression. So, once again, you have abide, the command, and the expression is bearing fruit. Now, you see the same thing in verse 7. See, chapter 15 speaks of Jesus being the true vine. See, and in order for there to be the proper results that he wants, we must abide in the true vine. In verse 7, we see the word abide again. Okay, that's the relationship. If you abide in me and my words abide in me, you shall ask what you desire. See, that, um, no, we can do on, see. Okay, the latter part. And it shall be done for you. That's, that's the revelation. See, concerning the desire of the individual, being correct. That's the revelation. The Lord brings that. It shall be done. Your desire. If it's right, it shall be done. And then in verse 8, you see again that you bear much fruit. That's the uh, expression. So this particular truth is found in various places in the scriptures. I'll give you a couple more examples. Um, and I'll, I'll just read this. Turn to Hebrews. Turn to Hebrews 11 and Matthew 11. Matthew 11, verse 29 uh, and 30 is a familiar portion of scripture. Take my yoke upon you. See, that's relationship. Being yoked with him is a relationship. And learn of me. See, that's, that's the revelation part. Learning of him, he gives you revelation. And then you go on, he says it at the uh, middle of the next verse, for my yoke is easy, or my yoke is useful. The usefulness of it is in the expression of your life. You're expressing that which the Lord has, has done in your life. Okay? In, uh, you're in Hebrews 11, right? I'm going to go to Genesis. You have to see both of these scriptures to see this truth. Genesis 5, 24 and Enoch walked with God. What's that? See, that's relationship. He walked with God and he was not, for God took him. It's a relationship. Now, when you go in Hebrews 11, verse 5, it talks about Enoch. By faith, Enoch. Now, faith in God, faith in him, brings revelation. Faith cometh by hearing, we know that, but it brings revelation to your life, having faith in him, walking with him. And then when you move on here, by faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. 
For before he was taken, he had this testimony. See, what's the testimony? Did he please God? Yeah, but the testimony was an expression that came out from his life. Nothing's, other than these couple verses, nothing else is said about this man uh, in the Bible. But in those two verses, you can see the relationship. You can see by faith. See, there, was, there was a revelation of God to Enoch by faith. And then the expression was he had this testimony that he pleased God. And whatever else went on in his life, those three things were, were moving, and they were there, obviously, in this man's life, just as they should be there and moving in our life. And the last scripture in Isaiah 6, Isaiah 6, 1. In the year of King Uzziah, King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. So there's your relationship with Isaiah. I saw the Lord. In verse 5, he says, I am undone. Well, that's the revelation that God gave him of himself. I mean, of Isaiah. He's seeing his, his wretchedness as far as seeing the glory of God. And that was a revelation. He said, I, I am undone. I am a man of unclean clean lips. What revelation. That's a revelation that some people don't have. And then verse 8. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And he said, here am I, send me. There's the expression. Isaiah became the expression. And of course, you could go to the prophet uh, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and if you looked at the verses in there, you would see the same basic order. This is not just an isolated thing here and there in the scriptures. You will see the relationship. You will see that the individual, for example, Ezekiel, saw the Lord, saw the glory of the Lord. It was great revelation came to him in this relationship. And then he became the expression of God to Judah time and time again in various ways, in speaking the word and not speaking the word, in laying on the, on the uh, street of the city for over a year, and all the different things that the Lord had him do, you know, with the lock of hair and all that. All that became the expression, he became the expression of the Lord based upon his relationship with the Lord and the revelation that he received from the Lord in that relationship. And so you and I are to follow the same pattern. That's, this should be moving in our life, relationship, revelation, and then for the purpose that we would become his expression whenever and wherever he may choose. Okay, thank you.